Um, the reading today is from Matthew 5, verses 21 to 26. And it can be found on page 969 in your pew Bibles. I thought it was quite amazing that I was asked to, to read this reading um, because I haven't, haven't spoken to my sister or my brothers in about three and a half years. Um, so I think the Lord's trying to talk to me. So you have heard, it, heard that it was said to people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still together on the way, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. Thanks, Pip. Good morning, everybody. So third message in our series today on the Sermon on the Mount. And I'm going to start with a question. Have you ever been angry? <laughs> That'd be, that's no, is it, Karen? <laughs> no. So I know that if your answer to that question is no, that you are absolutely lying. And that's why I didn't say, if you've never lied, if you've never been angry, put up your hand, because I don't want to make a liar of you in front of all these people. But if I'd asked you if you had murdered anybody, most of you will say no. Most of you, and I'm not being flippant, but most of you would say no, because everyone gets angry, but very few people actually commit murder. Agreed? Pretty much. So most of you know that the headings that we have in our Bibles have been put in there by the translators to make our Bibles easy to navigate, to help us to find things, and to give us helpful hints about the, what this passage might be uh, about. And the Pew Bible that we've got in the pews and the NIV Bible heads this little section, uh, murder. But... I don't know that these are always helpful headings. And so I went and looked up a few other translations to see what they head this little section. And as you can see there, although the one that we use heads at murder, most of the other good translations say that this passage is about anger. Now I think this is interesting because when I read the heading murder, I think to myself, well, I pretty much got that covered because it's not something that I do. So I'm going to read that passage with like, this is about murder, not something I do, a few other things in there. But if I see anger, I think to myself, all right, there's a possibility that though I don't murder, I do get angry. 
So, because like I said, anybody that says they don't get angry is lying. So maybe this passage does have something to say to me if it's about anger. The murder heading may lead to a misunderstanding about what this passage is trying to say. So let's have a little closer look at the passage and see what Jesus does with murder. Now first, before we do that, I'm just going to give you some background to a little phrase. The phrase is, you have heard that it was said. This is the first of six times that this phrase appears over the next few uh, chapters. So you've heard it said, and then Jesus says what was said, and then he says, but I tell you. And we're going to look at those passages over the next few weeks, one today, a few next week, and so this is the background to all of those passages. What Jesus is doing is really filling out the meaning of where we ended last week. So there were two important things last week that we had to keep thinking about in order to listen to what's coming. And the first one is that Jesus hadn't come to abolish the law. So when he's teaching us about the law, he said clearly, I haven't come to abolish it. And the other one, that his followers had to live that law even better than the best, even better than the scribes and Pharisees that had been teaching the law all these years. Now, some people say, and some people still say, that the old law was works and the new law is grace. But Jesus makes it clear here that nothing could be further from the truth. As Scott said last week, the Old Testament was Jesus' Bible, and he was sticking to it. And he says, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. What Jesus was doing was taking that law and taking the current teaching and understanding about that law and the teaching and filling it out. He was fulfilling it. Nothing will finish until all of this has been fulfilled. It's like he's saying, you've heard that it was said, but wait, there's more. But wait, there's more. Jesus' charge was that the teachers were interpreting the law and making it less demanding than it actually was. And most of us are familiar with this principle. If you tell children to go tidy their room, most of their stuff ends up under the bed. And when you walk in, the room looks tidy. But is it? And this is a, this is a true story from my own life. When I was growing up, and someone after the 8 o'clock service said that they had the same um, teaching, it wasn't a Christian home. When I was growing up, I was taught never to call anyone a fool, ever. Never call anyone a fool. So I never did. I called them idiots. Or worse, but never a fool because I totally kept the letter of the law, totally. I didn't even know what the spirit of the law was. But you get the idea, don't you? It's very easy to follow simple rules when the bar is low. So Jesus is saying, those days are over of the law being less demanding than it needs to be. Stop keeping the letter of the law. Stop trying to look good on the outside and so we have the six passages, you have heard that it was said. A deeper look at what is behind. 
And so we're going to look what is behind you have heard, do not murder. Anyone who murders will be subject to, mur to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be, oh, same thing, subject to judgment. So murder is a fairly low bar for me. If I did it, I'd be subject to judgment. Anger, higher bar, subject to judgment. That makes it higher because I'm no stranger to getting angry with other people. But wait, there's more. Anger's not the only problem. Name calling is a problem as well. I've never done that. Oh yes, I have, the bar's getting higher subject to some pretty hefty judgments itself. In fact, the judgments, I've summarised them here so you don't lose in the whole passage what the judgments are. Subject to judgment, deliverable to the court, in danger of the fire of hell. Angry, subject to judgment. Call someone raka, answerable to the court. Call someone a fool, in danger of the fire of hell. Sounds like fairly harsh, doesn't it? It sounds fairly harsh to me because I'm not a stranger to those experiences. You might ask, do the punishments actually fit the crime? Well, let's just have a little closer look at the crimes. First, anger. Now, I often hear people say that anger is okay because God got angry, Jesus gets angry, and it's okay for me to get angry because he got angry. Angry. I call it the righteous anger defence because righteous often comes into it somewhere when I'm um, listening to people. And we do see two types of anger in the Bible. We do see the righteous anger of God flare up against sin and injustice. And we do see that out of that righteous anger and in love, he acts to correct that injustice. And we may have the experience, and some of us do have the experience, of seeing sin and injustice and the righteous anger rising up within us and that causes us in love to look out to see if we can seek justice, to see if we can see justice for those that are oppressed. And that's a righteous anger. But it's not the anger that's on view here. And it's not the anger that I hear about the most. It's not that sort of anger. The anger on view here implies the sort of anger that we allow the sun to set on when we make an inward decision not to face it but to nurse it. It's the anger that rises up when someone gets in our way, when someone insults us, when someone calls us out, when someone stops us getting something that we want. It becomes personal. It may initially flare, but it settles into a slow burn. Resentment and contempt that may not even feel like anger anymore. I'm not an angry person at all. Second crime, raka. Now this is a word that can mean empty-headed, idiotic, stupid. This word calls into question someone's mental incompetence, their ability to think clearly, their ability to make decisions. It makes a comment on the very way that they think. And then fool. This word, it's got both religious and moral overtones. This word, to call someone a fool, the way it was used back then, 
could be used for someone to deny that was denying the existence of God. When you use this word, you're calling into question someone's morals, moral competence, their very character as a human being, their humanity. And if you look at the punishments, we can see an escalation from a decision to nurse anger, becomes resentment, remarks about a person's mental competence, to judgment about a person's heart or morality, their very humanity, their right to live, they are dead to me. So what Jesus shows us here is God's heart behind the commandment and that the choices we make are just as damaging to relationship, just as damaging to God and just as deserving of punishment as murder is. What this ends up being is a really, really hard-hitting word to protect and enhance our relationships that the kingdom of God should be full of. The kingdom of God should be full of good relationships. And in the remainder of the teaching over the next few weeks, that's the background. Relationships are important to God. And we're going to be looking at some of the things in that context because God is ultimately about relationship. As Father, Son and Spirit, perfect relationship, God three in one, enjoying the fellowship of each other, Father, Son and Spirit. He created us and he invited us into that relationship. But we rebelled and we rejected that relationship. It was sin. And he set about with his plan for reconciliation. He didn't let his flare-up of anger at this. He did not let that flare-up of anger destroy. He let that flare-up of anger out of love plan for reconciliation. He willed to reconcile and he started to walk towards it. And a plan, this plan culminated in the arrival of Jesus and his death and resurrection. Our reconciliation with God finally possible. And we read in Ezekiel what would happen when Jesus came. God said, I will give you a new heart and, I put, a new, and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. The ethics and the ideals of God's kingdom were already there. They were already in the foundations. The heart of God for his people to be in relationship with him, to share in the relationship of Father, Son and Spirit, to share in his creation were there. But the hearts of the people towards God were hard. Because the king hadn't come. But now, Jesus says, he has come. That kingdom is here. That kingdom is among you. And he's ascended to the throne. And so this is a kingdom calling now. King Jesus calling to the possibility of living the ideals of the kingdom. The possibility with our refreshed, soft hearts have increased. And so where it was do not murder now by the power of the spirit, it's so much more but it's hard-hitting. 
He knows that we're in the middle of a clash. Have a look at that picture. Kingdom on top, kingdom underneath, the kingdom of God above, the kingdom here, the kingdom of the world now, and a sharp line between them, divided. They don't have very much in common at all, except that we live in both of them at the moment. When they come together, and when their values come together, they clash. It's hard and it's violent. That's why a couple of times we've said from up here that when you are faced with the demands of the ethical living that's in the kingdom, it's not easy. These are hard-hitting teachers. And when you do that, when you try to live the distinctive lives we heard about last week, when you try to be salt and be light as individuals and as a community, there will be pushback, particularly if you live at the standards that Jesus is actually calling us to. But whatever the pushback, Jesus still tells us not to settle for just avoiding murder. He calls us to so, so much more. And so now he says, after he's told us that, Therefore, I always love it when I read therefore because I think something's coming that's going to help me out with this section. Therefore, if anger is so abhorrent to God and relationships are so important, we should not worship with grudges unsettled. First, we should go and be reconciled. He knows that we'll get angry. He knows that we won't always deal with our anger and neither will the people around us. He knows that we will have people in our lives that are angry with us. And he knows that most of us already have conflicted relationships. Most people that step into the kingdom of God have relationships and histories of relationships. But, and more important to him than fulfilling our commitment to worship is our relationship with others. If you're coming to the altar, stop. First be reconciled with those. Now, is he saying stop coming to church till all your relationships are reconciled? Would, would that be the letter of the law or the spirit of the law? That's the letter of the law. The spirit of this law is reconciliation is so important. It's an act of worship in itself. Don't come lightly. Take the opportunity to reconcile. Think about it before you do it. And he doesn't confine seeking reconciliation to the community of faith. Anyone could be taking you to court. It may be a brother and sister in the Lord. It may not be a brother and sister in the Lord. But again, he's not necessarily talking about an actual court case. He's saying unsettled grievances. Someone has a grievance against you and you don't seek to settle it quickly, you do not know what consequences are going to come out of that. Seek to settle quickly. If you have an adversary, act quickly because you don't know what's gonna happen. You don't know the consequences. So there we have the spirit of the law. What's behind Jesus' teaching about do not murder. Relationships are so important to God that what goes on in our hearts and minds needs as much spirit-led attention as our actions, as our attendance at worship. Relationships are so important that we should interrupt the flow of our lives in order to seek reconciliation where we need to, and we should do it quickly. That's the kingdom calling. 
That's Jesus, the King, calling. Uh, as Scott mentioned, and as uh, some of you know, I have worked uh, over the years with an organisation that promotes biblical peacemaking and reconciliation. And it means that I've heard many, many, many stories from people about their conflicts and their relationships. And I've had the blessing and privilege of walking with people as they have attempted to reconcile and made that first step towards, I think that this is something uh, that I need to do. So I know that at any one time, there are people for whom things can be flowing along fairly smoothly. Doesn't feel like there's too many relationship problems. Doesn't feel like you've got, that you're out of uh, fellowship with anybody or that you uh, have a problem that you feel that you need to address. I think that's the minimum number of people because even when I speak to people day to day and they tell me how great their lives are going, it's not very long before I find that, well, this bit of your life with that person's not going as well. But because 99.5% of life is going well, 0.5% don't really need to worry about it. But those can develop into complex and messy relationships. And what goes on in our hearts when we think about relationships is often complex and messy, even when it's not obvious to others. And I also know from years and years that there are real obstacles to reconciliation. What if the person won't engage? What if the person has died? What if there's a serious power imbalance between you and the person that you would like to reconcile with? What if there are real issues of justice, real legal issues, really material issues that need to be sorted out besides the relationship. And one of the most difficult things that I find myself having to share with people quite often when they start on a journey of reconciliation, if there is absolutely no guarantee how this is going to turn out. And that's not what Jesus is addressing here. I have to say that to people. When you take this step what we're praying for, what we're working towards, is reconciliation. But there's another person involved, so we can make no guarantees. But it doesn't change the command of Jesus, does it? Teaching here that I should will to address what's going on in my heart, I should will to address the way I treat other people, and I should will to reconcile and quickly. When we seek to reconcile, then we are the blessed. Recon seeking to, reconciliate, to reconcile is seeking to be a peacemaker. Insofar as it's up to you, seek peace. And that's what it is that Jesus is asking us to do. So, of course, the next question is, are you willing? I know that many of you are already seeking to answer it and I've spoken to some of you who tell, who've told me um, about some of the, your efforts and some of the things that you're doing to seek reconciliation and I know that many of you take it seriously. And I know there'll be others of you here that just need that little reminder or who have something going on in their lives. So we're going to pray together that as a community, increasingly we live as the blessed of God. That means each individual has to will, but as a community, we support each other. 
We teach each other. We encourage each other. We don't allow each other to walk in ways that break relationship. We don't allow each other to walk in anger towards another person. We support each other. So we're going to pray that we do become the blessed of God, that we do become salt and light as we answer the king's call to renewed relationship. But we're going to do it as I lead you in prayer. And with a little pause after each one, and you just can say a little amen to that, all it is is a will to reconcile. So let's pray. If you're willing after each thing, you just say amen in your heart. If you're not, that's okay too. Because God is, has us all on a journey. God has us all in different places. And sometimes we need to process things. So just keep it in your mind as we pray. Let's pray. We know, Father, that we are not alone. We are under the kingship of Jesus, the risen Christ, with the presence, power, and comfort of your Holy Spirit, who has written your law into our softened hearts. We thank you for the company of our brothers and sisters in the faith, that you are for us, not against us. We thank you for the grace you have extended to us in Jesus Christ. Please show us the sin in our relationships. Lead us to repent of anger, of insult, of resentment, of the ways that we judge others, as you, Holy Spirit, make us aware of them. We have the will to reconcile and offer you our hopes, but also our fears in our relationships. And we now leave it all in your mighty and powerful hands. In the name of the King, Jesus Christ, amen. Now, I don't know all your circumstances, so I can't give you, now, next step for you, next step for you, next step for you. I have absolutely no idea. But I do know that you have a father that loves you. And I do know that the kingdom's calling you to, that, to be the blessed. And so I know for each one of you, there'll be a next step. So I encourage you to pray for that next step for you. If you need help with that, talk to one of the pastoral staff. Contact the office and make a time to see me or to see someone else. Talk with a friend that you trust, someone that will encourage you ahead, not excuse you. You, you know, there's friends that say, you're totally right to sit in that resentment. And there's other friends that will say, oh, I can help you move out of that resentment. And the thing is, it's the kingdom calling. It's, it's not me calling, it's Jesus calling. And I'm very, very glad for the song that we're going to sing next. It's one of my absolute favourites. It's one of the songs that I fall back on. For instance, when I am working with people for whom reconciliation never occurs. I have two relationships where I've sought reconciliation and there's been no reconciliation. I have no idea if that reconciliation will come in the new creation or whether I'm going to get the opportunity to be reconciled with those two people here. And so this is a song I fall back on. And I'm going to finish uh, with a prayer with the words of the bridge of this song so that when you come to sing it, 
Just be aware that God loves you. It's he that is your righteousness. Let's pray. King Jesus, teach our song to rise to you when temptation comes our way. When we cannot stand, we'll fall on you. Jesus, you're our hope and stay. Amen.